Hi, True Crime listeners. We're your hosts. I'm Adriana. And I'm Cody. Today, we're going to talk about a case that is absolutely mind-boggling. Yeah, this case is nuts. This case took place in Jaffrey, New Hampshire in September of 2020. So this is still a very recent case. A man from New Hampshire, Armando Barron, kidnapped and shot his wife's lover, Jonathan Amaralt, and then he forced his wife, Brittany Barron, to behead her deceased lover. This is Wicked Killings. Our story starts in Jaffrey, New Hampshire. Now, I don't know if you know anything about this small town, but I knew very little about it before researching it. According to the townofjaffrey.com, Jaffrey is located at the base of Grand Monadnock Mountain. It is well-known vacation spots. We get a lot of leaf peepers up there, I'm sure. People probably love going up there yeah. for vacation. Which is surprising because I can't even picture where this town is without looking at a map. After I looked at a map, I could figure out where it was because I used to go hunting in Gilmington with my dad when I was a kid. You obviously had to use maps when yeah. you were hunting to figure out where to go. And we didn't have the handheld GPSs back in those days. In 2019, the United States Census Bureau reported the population of Jaffrey at 5,277, which is actually higher than I expected because it's such a small small town right i would never think to go and live in jaffrey new hampshire right. there's nothing up there <laughs> is there even internet <laughs> many of us who listen to true crime stories know that just because a town or city is small doesn't mean that the crime doesn't happen according to crimegrade.org the rate of crime in jaffrey is slightly lower than the average u.s city and jaffrey is in the 64th percentile for safety meaning 36 percent of cities are safer than jaffrey and 64% of cities are more dangerous. I also would like to mention that the crime index in Keene, New Hampshire, because that is where our victim had just bought a house. According to the neighborhood scout, Keene, New Hampshire has a crime index of 23, which means that it's quite dangerous because a crime index of 100 is the safest. Wow. I know, that's pretty high. That's I think crazy. I think back on our first podcast episode where that crazy, brutal case, the crime index in Springfield, Mass. is 10. Yeah, and that's not very much of a difference. <laughs> I know. It's really not at all. It's crazy to think about that when you see the numbers. Right, and the population density is way different, too. There's way more people in the town we looked at last time. Yeah, in Springfield. Keene is actually ranked one of the most dangerous places to live in New Hampshire. Okay, so now that you have an idea of what this town is like, let's get into the details of this story. Okay, so I don't even really know where to begin with this story because there are so many layers and all of them are just utterly horrifying. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> Seriously. So let's start from the very beginning. So our victim was Jonathan Amaralt, who was reported missing by his mother to the Keene State Police, according to the New Hampshire State Police Detective Matthew Anderson's affidavit. He was reported missing 
on September 21st of 2020 when he didn't show up to his job at Teleflex Medical in Jaffrey. His friends and family also reported to the local police that they hadn't heard from him since Saturday, September 19th. Jonathan began working at Teleflex Medical as a manufacturing engineer after he graduated from the Rochester Institute of Technology, also known as RIT in Rochester, New York. So he had a really good education and yeah. off to a good start in his life. He really was. And like that school is amazing. One of my siblings, they actually attended that college many years ago. That's and right. yeah, you said that. Yeah, that campus, everything about that school is absolutely beautiful. And he actually, Jonathan Amrault, he was accepted for a really awesome scholarship that actually let him go there and be really successful. Um, And from what I could find, he was incredibly smart and he actually graduated cum laude in 2018 with a degree in biomedical engineering. It's impressive. Yeah, takes a really smart person to major in biomedical engineering. Yeah. I don't even really know what that entails. So I actually looked up his social media accounts, and some people that both of us actually know follow him on Instagram. Oh, so we have mutual friends? Mutual friends, yeah. I believe it, but, you know, we're semi-close to the area. Right, and I think because a lot of us come from really small towns, it's like the small amount of people you meet you want to connect with yeah um and based off of his instagram post he was an avid hiker and he often documented his hiking experiences by posting the most beautiful pictures for all of his followers to see which is actually pretty cool up in the white mountains probably in new hampshire oh yeah he always looks so happy too like you just knew that he was hiking because he loved it not because he was being a poser or something Mm mm-hmm So he was even an advocate for the Black Lives Matter movement, which I was pretty shocked to see that um, you don't see a lot of people, not from this area, that post about a lot of things like that, like political things on their Facebook or Instagram. Um, And he was actually extremely involved in each of the communities that he's lived in, um, to include Keene. Um, And a lot of people in his life reported that he just really – loved serving and giving back to the people he lived around. He was a real stand-up citizen, real good guy. He really was. The type of guy you would want to be your friend. Yeah, sounds like. definitely. Um, I found out that Jonathan and Brittany Barron actually met while working at Teleflex Medical together. And based off of Brittany's LinkedIn profile account, she was working as a machine operator at Teleflex Medical since September of 2014. So she had been there for a while, and he had been there for at least two years if he graduated in 2018. Yeah, at least two years. Right. Um, and according to our research, it was no secret at Brittany and Jonathan's workplace that the two were having some sort of an affair even though Brittany was married to someone else. Mm -hmm. And that someone else was Armando. Fucking Armando. (laughs) Although people were gossiping about the affair at Brittany's work, Brittany's husband, Armando, had no idea what was going on at the time. Completely oblivious. I mean, who could blame the guy? So after Jonathan was reported missing, 
Police immediately wanted to contact their employer, so they contacted Teleflex Medical, where Brittany and Jonathan were working, and they were told that Jonathan didn't call out of work on Monday. No call, no show? Yeah. Doesn't sound like something he would do. Exactly. Doesn't seem like something he had ever done based off of what I read. Right. But then police were told that his coworker, Brittany, was also out on Monday, September 21st. So that's already suspicious. Okay. People people are probably starting to think they got a motel room and they were having some fun times by themselves. Right. Um, and little did they know that they were not having a fun time at all. Mm-hmm. So Teleflex medical employees reported to the police that Brittany Barron called to let her employer know that she would not be at work on September 21st. So that's good. At least she called. She called, yeah. But then... Oddly enough, she told them that she was most likely going to be quitting her job altogether. What does that even mean? Either you're quitting or you're not. It's not really you're thinking about it. You yeah. Kind you of can't mean, say, I'm most likely not coming back. You got you to gotta give them a definitive answer. Right. They deserve that. I mean, that's your job. People are relying on you. Otherwise, they might just start asking questions as to why you're saying you might not come back. Exactly. And surprisingly, the employees at Teleflex Medical also told the police that they believed Brittany and Jonathan were in a relationship. Oh, so they didn't even know about her husband. So I couldn't really find anything on if they knew she was married. I mean... Doesn't sound like it. Sounds like she was just fooling around with this guy at work and didn't tell nobody that she was married. But I think about a lot of women I know. I don't know a single woman. Well, I've met a few, but most women wear a wedding ring. Even being a machine operator, most people will wear some sort of, they've got those fancy silicone wedding bands now. So maybe people knew that they were in a relationship. But people, people have affairs all the time. Maybe she just didn't wear a ring at work, especially after she met, you know, Jonathan. Right. I guess you could be right about that. I mean, once the police found out about this, naturally, they want to contact Brittany's emergency contact, which I'm assuming was her husband, Armando. Mm -hmm. And when they contacted Armando, he told the police that he was so upset over the breakup of his marriage with Brittany. So he just throws that out there, that their marriage is broken up. Okay, Armando. (laughs) Seems a little dramatic to me. Um, And then he told the police that he last saw his wife on Saturday night, September 19th, when he dropped her off on the side of the road in Temple, New Hampshire at 2 a.m. because she wanted to go camping with some of her friends. Yeah, real good alibi, Armando. That doesn't even make any sense. Why would you drop your wife off? On the side of the road at 2 a.m.? On September, in September, what was that, the 20th? 19th. The 19th. It's likely fairly cold up there, probably like 40 degrees. Just drop her off. It's just crazy. I don't even understand (laughs) why he would do that. Um, And based off of what I could find, he didn't give any further reasoning except she wanted to go camping with her friends. Sounds like we got another jabroni on our hands. I know. He already sounds like an idiot. 
So Armando then tells police that he drove up to Arrow, New Hampshire, and then returned home afterwards. To me, that's such a weird thing to say to the police because at that point, Errol hadn't even been mentioned. And he just outright told police that he drove a good three and a half hours away for whatever reason, just to come home afterwards. Right. That sounds pretty suspicious to me. I don't know, though. It sounds suspicious. Yeah, it <laughs> sounds like uh, either a drug deal or something else. Right. Um, luckily, police were able to ping Brittany Barron's last known location with her cell phone to kind of figure out where she was. Yeah. And, huh, they found out that her cell phone was last connected with a cell tower in Errol, New Hampshire. Okay. So, so she was with them all the way up there. All the way up there. I mean, police didn't know that right away, but I think they kind of suspected that that was the case. Yeah. Um, so the local police, they reached out to the New Hampshire Fish and Game officers um, in the Errol, New Hampshire area. And the officers with the Fish and Game Department, they actually found Brittany at a campsite in the woods in Errol. Just in the woods, just chilling at a campsite? Chilling at a campsite. Okay. They had no idea what she was doing or really what they were about to find out. So he wasn't lying about her camping. She just wasn't with friends. Exactly. Yeah. And clearly she, I don't think she hitchhiked from Temple no, to Errol. I mean, brought her there. he must have brought her there, but I should have actually done the Google Maps to see the distance to see if it's walkable or something. So... Police obviously want to drive up to Errol to figure out what's going on. And they found Brittany was alone and she was armed with a gun. Okay. So there's that. Police immediately found something covered with a tarp, had sticks on it and branches and everything. Fishing game officers told police that they had even seen blood coming out of the tarp. Oh. Wonder what's in the tarp, Brittany. I think all of the law enforcement officials have kind of an idea what's yeah, under there. I think. She wasn't trying very hard to hide anything at that point. Starting to connect the dots here. Right. So Brittany Barron then told police that she had burned Jonathan Amaralt's possessions. She wiped down his car. I'm guessing with her fingerprints and evidence or whatever. And she was waiting for her husband, Armando, to come back to the campsite. Okay. So he just never went back to get her. Just <laughs> left her there. Yeah, just left her there. I mean, so of course, police now want to find her husband again and try to talk to him. Um, from what I could find, he was pretty evasive from the police um, when they were trying to contact him and reach out to him that yeah. i mean you, they just found your wife with the, what seems to be a dead body in the woods right hours away hours away after you were you said you were just in that area right dropping her off to go camping with her air quotes <laughs> air quotes all over this so her husband armando was later stopped while driving and he actually had one of their children in the back seat of the car with him. They stopped him in Coos County 
which is in New Hampshire, and he was obviously arrested, although the reason for the arrest wasn't really known at the time to him. He must have had somewhat of an idea. Right. He's got a, he's probably shit in his pants right now. Thinking, right. Oh, shit, they caught me. I know I would be. <laughs> I'd be a mess. So now let's rewind the story a few days. I feel like we jumped right into the nitty gritty details. So Armando, like I had said earlier, he had no idea that his wife, Brittany, was cheating on him and having an affair. Right. Until he decided to go through her cell phone on Saturday, September 19th. Oh. Yeah. So that's when he found out that not only was she having an affair, but she was having an affair with someone she worked with at Teleflex Medical, mm-hmm. which was obviously Jonathan Amaralt. Yep. So the person who saw everything and knew everything was Brittany Barron. And she told the police everything, everything that she knew. About? About the murder. About, about the goings-ons on September 19th and 20th and stuff? About the entire weekend and yep. absolutely every detail that she could remember. And her lawyer, Richard Guerrero, actually said that she helped to solve this this case. Well, yeah. I mean, I mean he's she- not... Told him everything. Right. He's not wrong. And I feel like that's pretty surprising because you don't see that happen a lot in married couples where one person kind of flips on the other. It's usually the total opposite. Well, she must have been very scared. Right. He did leave her in the woods for the night. Right. And she was already cheating on him, so there was already a... Something happened. Yeah, there was already something between them that we probably don't know about. Right. So... Brittany Barron, she was questioned by law enforcement. She told the police that her husband, Armando Barron, came home and he wanted to look through her phone. Once he saw the text messages that were on her phone, he came after her and he actually began beating her, which led to her having two black eyes, a bloody nose, and he chipped her tooth. What a piece of shit. And from another report that I found, um, they did say that he actually broke her nose. Wow. So, I mean, that's that's pretty egregious to assault your spouse like that. I know, just beat the shit out of her because you caught her cheating. Right. There were a lot of uh, other ways he could have gone yeah, about I can dealing understand, with that. I can understand being upset about it, but I mean... Don't don't hit women, people. It's just not cool. Right. Don't hit anybody. So Armando then proceeded to hold a gun inside of her mouth. He put the barrel of the gun in Brittany's mouth. And then he choked her until she passed out. Holy shit. Yeah, like he knocked her out, essentially. He strangled her yeah. until she was unconscious. Choked her out, took her phone. It's just so disturbing to me. So gets gets even worse. So Armando proceeded to text Jonathan Amaralt from Brittany's cell phone, asking to meet up at Annette Wayside Park in Ringe, New Hampshire. Damn. Yeah. So he was pretending to be Brittany to lure yeah. this poor guy into a bad situation and he Jonathan had no idea what was coming. No, he don't know. He's like, oh, cool. Yeah, let's meet up. Have right. a walk, have a little stroll in the pack at night. Nice brisk walk in, in the fall. Right. 
So when the Barons got to the park, Armando violently beat Jonathan Amaralt, and he actually placed a gun in Brittany's hand and ordered her to shoot Jonathan. Jesus, got fucking snapped. Yeah. He's lost it at this point. He lost it probably immediately, as soon as he saw the text. As soon as he saw the text, but now he's just taking it to a whole other level. Right, way too far. He then orders Brittany to shoot him, and she refused to put her finger on the trigger. I mean, I know I would. Yeah. I mean, at this point, she probably likes Jonathan more than her husband, Armando. Right. So he then tells her to stomp on Amaralt's neck with her foot, and she also refused to do that too. Like, I can't even imagine how scary... This must have been for both Jonathan and Brittany. Like, I can't even imagine. Yeah, I can't believe how traumatized Brittany is now after going through all of this. Seriously. And Armando then pointed his gun at Amaralt and ordered him to get into the backseat of his own car, which was a Subaru. Of Amaralt's car? Yeah. Yeah. He made him get into the backseat of his own car. Armando sat in the passenger seat while Brittany drove the car. And Brittany reported that Armando turned around and that's when she heard the gunshots. Like, imagine how loud that was inside of a car. Depends what kind of gun it is. Right. So that was a little hard for, I couldn't really find what type of gun was used. What was the weapon? Yeah. Because if it was like a twenty-two, it wouldn't be that loud. But if it was like a nine millimeter or something. Their ears would be ringing. Your ears would be fucking screaming after that. Right. So she heard three consecutive gunshots, and she turned around and saw the gunshot wounds on Amaralt's body. I mean, she saw that he had two bullets in his chest area and a third bullet in his head. Damn. Yeah. Completely scary. Armando then instructed Brittany to drive back to their house in Jaffrey to pack up for a camping trip. This is when he's trying to get his alibi. Yeah, he's trying to get everything straight, get his ducks in a row, and make sure that people after, don't find out. After the fact, after he fucking shoots him and reality's starting to set back in, he's like, oh, fuck, I just fucked up. I'm right. a fucking dipshit. Right. Fucking crazy bastard. And what I want to know is, so the Barons, they have three children. Like, where are their kids that night? Probably Did you find their, a babysitter just so you could commit this murder? Probably one of their parents' house. I mean, that's so disturbing to me. Yeah. Who does that? Like, oh, go to grandma and grandpa's maybe, or whoever they sent their kids right. to. Go to Meme and Pepe's for the night. I got to go fucking tell your mom to try to kill this guy. Mommy and daddy have plans tonight. You can't come. We're going camping. Right. So after the two go back to their house at Jaffrey... They packed up some of their things, and Brittany then drove Amaralt's car more than 200 miles away to Errol with Jonathan Amaralt's lifeless body in the backseat, and Armando followed her in his own Jeep. Jesus Christ. He made her drive John's car. Yeah. And he drove his own car. What a piece of shit. I know. Can't even fucking. What a fuck. This guy's a coward. Such a horrible husband. I mean, it's. Another fucking class act we got here. Seriously. 
So the Barons made a campsite once they got to Errol, and this is when Armando forced Brittany to saw off Jonathan Emerald's head. That's just that's fucking brutal. It's disgusting. It it literally makes me sick to my stomach thinking about why would you what why, happened? Why? What's the point? I don't what know. What point is he trying to make? That he can make her do whatever he wants her to do, I guess. Trying I don't know. Regain some control he lost because she was cheating on him. Right. So, I mean, believe it or not, Brittany did it this time. I mean, of course she did. She must have been terrified of she him. She probably had, he had a gun to her head, obviously, probably. Right. I mean, that wasn't reported in anything that I saw, whether he had a real gun or a figurative gun up to her head. I don't know. He probably had a gun to her head. Right. He probably did. Like, cut his head off or else you're going to be laying there with him. Right. Because at that point, he had just killed somebody. She saw it firsthand, so she's fucking freaking out. Like in his mind. At this point, she's going to do whatever he tells her. Right. Tells her to do, you know? Yeah, and like she did tell the police that she did it because she was scared of Armando, naturally. And I would have been scared too. I would have done whatever it took to get out of such a bad situation. So, I mean, after she saws off Jonathan Emerald's head, she then proceeds to wrap his decapitated head in a tarp, and she buried it near the campsite by a brook. Okay. Yeah. Buried it in the, by a brook. Yep. So uh, the two of them, Armando and Brittany, they also covered Emerald Subaru with a tarp, and this was after she wiped it clean right. from evidence. Um, Armando then asked Brittany to wrap up Jonathan's body in a tarp, and on Sunday, September 20th, they left the campsite in Errol, once again, with Emerald's body, no head, and drove to Atkinson and Gilmanton Academy Purchase. I don't exactly know where that is, but I know it's in that surrounding area. Um, They then turned onto a road called Abbott Brook Road, which is a logging road. So that leads into the woods. I mean, you said you used to go camping in that area. So you know what? That could be the same road that I used to drive down to go camping on. I mean, to go hunting on. (laughs) That's horrifying. It could have been because it was an old logging road we used to drive down. I guess we'd have to maybe look more into that. Ask your dad or something. I'd have to look at a map. Seriously. Because Abbott Brook Road does sound familiar. But anyways. So... The two of them were actually seen by hunters on Sunday night. Okay. Yeah. And based off of what I tried to find, there wasn't really any information on if the hunters were questioned about exactly what they saw. I mean, they must have mentioned it to somebody if multiple articles mentioned that they were witnessed by hunters. Well, I mean, if, if you're a hunter, you're out in the woods and you see it, couple of people out in the woods while it's hunting season and they're not wearing any camo or orange or anything it's a little suspicious so it makes me kind of wonder if they actually reported it to like the fishing game the hunters might have because it's you know it's it's common knowledge if when it's hunting season wear some orange out in the woods so you don't get shot by accident because that happens all the time right a lot more than you'd like it to (laughs) seriously So, as you all know, any trial 
in the United States takes such a long time to come to a close. Especially now. It happened right in 2020, right in the thick of COVID. Right. And I mean, this case is absolutely no exception. Like you said, during COVID, everything was just pushed back for a long time. And the trial of Armando hasn't even happened as of today. He's still waiting. Still waiting. Um, And officials... Officials actually believe that his trial could be pushed well into 2022. Jeez. Yeah. So I actually think I read May of 2022. That's crazy. Yeah. So that's like six months away. Yeah. Just like the last guy. Just like the last time. Just like our last case we talked about. He's still waiting on trial too. And that was in 2018. Yeah. So, I mean... They say 2022 for Armando, but we all know that that could be pushed way out. Probably not. So at this time, Armando has been charged with capital murder in connection with the murder of Jonathan Amaralt, and he's also facing a domestic violence charge for assaulting his wife, Brittany. Yep. I mean, he beat her up really badly when he found out. Right. So capital murder, for those of you who don't know, it's when you abduct somebody you kidnap somebody, and you kill them at the same time. So you're getting charged for two things at once, which is capital murder. That's interesting. I did not know that. Mm-hmm. And I'm a avid true crime yeah. listener. <laughs> I just read it somewhere the other day. I was like, oh, I didn't know that. Interesting. It's, in- it's interesting. Yeah. So his wife, Brittany Barron, she actually agreed to plead guilty to two charges of falsifying evidence and trying to dispose of a corpse. Okay. So for those of you who don't know, pleading guilty to this charge will significantly reduce other charges that she may face later on um, in the months to come. And in the end, this will result in a shorter prison sentence for her altogether. So sometimes when the police say, if you cooperate, it'll be, it won't be as bad for you. Sometimes they're telling you the truth. They're not always lying to you. <laughs> they're not always just saying that. So you cooperate with them so they can go home and eat some donuts. Right. So according to the union leader in New Hampshire, a single charge of falsifying evidence carries a minimum sentence of three years and six months, just three years and so three and a half years. I don't know why they said three years and six months. Which is actually more than I expected because this charge by itself without knowing all of the details seems really vague to me. Like falsifying evidence, that could be anything. Yeah. I mean, falsifying evidence is pretty bad because then that could in turn, if it's a specific specific case, somebody who's innocent could be charged. And the guy who actually, the guy or girl who actually did it could be out free fucking walking around. Right. I getting, guess that's true. I didn't really look at it like that. Getting a fucking Big Mac. Killing, <laughs> killing some more people, you know? I know. it's The world is just so disturbing. So by Brittany agreeing to this plea deal, two years of this sentence would actually be suspended. And the one year that she has already served would count towards the total sentence that she's given. So... Okay. This ultimately means that she would be eligible for parole after only a year and a half, which naturally would seem pretty unfair to the victim's family. I did read that a lot of his family members were pretty upset about that. Yeah, but I mean, looking at it from her standpoint, if she's actually telling the truth and she's saying, 
that she was forced to do all these things and she didn't help with anything and she wasn't like a like an accessory to murder exactly. and stuff like that then i can see how this is a good thing for her i mean because she was forced to do it right so she shouldn't he, have any right. choice in his in armando's mind he was probably thinking if i make her do all this i'm not getting in trouble but then he just snapped and shot the guy and then uh, that went out the window exactly and i actually found it really shocking to learn that Brittany barron even agreed to pay jointly for the funeral expenses of jonathan amaralt and even to pay for the counseling for his family members and friends. That's So as of today, Armando Barron is still in jail on a capital murder charge for the murder of Jonathan Amaralt. Good. I mean, fucking should be. It's exactly where he deserves to be at this time. Yeah. Um, And I couldn't really find any information about Brittany, um, the last things that I had found about her charges was from August 31st, so about a month ago. Okay. Um, so none of that is set in stone yet. Yeah. Um, anything can happen with the justice system, as we all know. Yeah. It's forever changing. Um, and I mean, this story just sends chills throughout my body because both Armando and Brittany Barron had no previous criminal histories or any really like serious run in right. with the law yeah. for that matter. Cause I looked into that before this episode. Cause I like to see if, if, you know, Armando had any previous crimes that he's committed, but right. he didn't have any, like he was a law abiding citizen, a, a maybe a loving father and a loving husband. Right. Until this. And then he just fucking snapped. Like they, both of them they seem to be living your average American life. like Average Northeastern life. In married. The yeah. They both had jobs, stable jobs. They had a house. They had a roof over their head. And they have three kids. Right. Do we know what Armando did for work? No, I couldn't find no, that out. No, no. So, I mean, I could be wrong. Maybe he wasn't working. Maybe he was. Um, I tried looking up his social media. Couldn't really find anything. Right. Um, probably all got taken down by his, his family and stuff, right? And, you know, because they don't want people going on there saying hateful things and shit and going after them because right. I feel like that happens a lot yeah. in cases like this. So, I think there are so many of us who believe that we really know the people around us, but I mean, with this story, the reality is that you don't really know what anyone's capable of doing. No, you don't. Like, I think many of us know somebody or have known someone who have done really horrible things, and it's just not something you would ever expect them to do. Right. You wouldn't expect anybody to, anybody you know and love and you're close to, to commit something like this, you right. know, to Com- force one of your other friends to try to kill the person they're having an affair with. Right. Like, that's awful. Just totally blindsided Jonathan Amaral. Like, he had no idea what was coming. Poor guy. And. Like, my thoughts go out for his family. This is, this is a very, this is a very sad case. It's a horrible case. It's heartbreaking. This is terrible. I mean, this is a story that happened purely because of Armando's jealousy. Yeah. 
And I mean, not to mention, but this all happened because of history of domestic violence. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's pretty clear based off of what Brittany has told police and has told her friends and family that they've reported that she has mentioned that he's been abusive. Right. In the past. Right. And yeah. it's fucking piece of shit. And I don't know if many of our listeners know this, but October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. Um, so I will say that for the month of October, most of our stories will be kind of centered around this, um, just to kind of show our support. So according to the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence, one in three women and one in four men have experienced some form of physical violence by an intimate partner. You know, the one in four men statistic really surprised me because you wouldn't think that one in four men deal with domestic violence. Oh, yeah. Anyone can be abusive. You know, that, that, that statistic really surprised me. Every time I hear it, I think it surprises me because... You, you know, all the cases that you see and in the movies and whatever, it's always, you know, the man right. doing it to the woman. That's but it does happen. It happens the other way, too. Happens all the time, way more than anyone expects. Yeah. Um, and I mean, even a form of domestic violence could be like slapping someone across the face and things like that. Right. Or like yeah. other... It doesn't have to be broken bones and shit like that. Right. It's not always that severe, but... Exactly. Um, and intimate violence actually accounts for 15% of all violent crimes. I find, I find that statistic to be absolutely insane and mm -hmm. way higher than I had ever expected it to be. Yeah. And in fact, 34.7% of New Hampshire women in 35 0.4% of New Hampshire men experience intimate partner physical violence, intimate partner sexual violence, and or intimate partner stalking in their lifetimes. Wow. Yeah. It's it's a pretty high number. A very high number for what I would consider to be the middle of nowhere. Right. I mean, it's... It's not hev as heavily populated as some of the other states. Right. Like, I do think statistics in other states would be much higher. Right. But I, I think... Mean, some people out in the West Coast don't even know where New Hampshire is. Exactly. That's a very good point to make. And these statistics are just horrible. And it's, it's all of our duties to advocate against domestic violence at all times. And I just want to say, if you or someone that you know is experiencing domestic violence, just please urge you to reach out to the Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-7233 or your local hotline in your state. I know a lot of different states have their own Yeah, they have their own specific hotlines. And I just wanted to stress that to all of our listeners and both Cody and I, we want all of our listeners to know that we hear you, we believe you, and we stand with you no matter what. Yep. So we just want to thank each and every, every one of you for taking the time to listen to our podcast tonight. Yeah, thanks. Um, there might be a little click clacks in there because our dogs are walking around the house and 
We don't have a studio. <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> and these mics catch a lot of stuff, but other than that, hopefully it was a good podcast. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it. I hope so. Um, until next time, and once again, this is Wicked Killings. Stay wicked. <laughs>